This episode of Value Hive is brought to you by Tegas. If you enjoy listening to Value Hive, you'll love the Tegas product. Tegas has the world's largest collection of instantly available expert interviews on all the public and private companies that you care about. All you have to do is log in. So if you're tired of high cost and time consuming expert research calls, give Tegas a try and see for yourself why many of the most trusted and well-respected hedge funds, mutual funds, family offices, allocators, and VCs rely on Tegas to scale their expert research and to get the critical information they need faster than ever. You can sign up for a free trial at tegas.co forward slash value hive. That's tegas.co forward slash value hive. And as a personal anecdote, I use Tegas literally every single day. It's the first resource I use when I start researching uh, a new investment, and it's one of the last things I do uh, before I finish up rounding out my research, and I know you'll love it as much as I do. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to talk to you about MIT Investment Management Company, also known as Matimco, the investment office of MIT. Each year, Matimco invests with a handful of new emerging managers who it believes can earn exceptional long-term returns in support of MIT's mission. In order to help the emerging manager community more broadly, they created EmergingManagers.org, a website for emerging manager stock pickers. For those looking to start a stock picking fund or those just looking to learn about how others have done it, I highly recommend this site. You'll find essays and interviews by successful emerging managers, service providers used by MIT's own fund managers, essays Matimco has written for emerging stock pickers, and more. Matimco also occasionally and opportunistically hires new members for their investment team. To view the job description, please visit matimco.org slash global dash investor. That's M-I-T-I-M-C-O dot O-R-G slash global dash investor. The Matimco team spends their time learning about great businesses and investments, working with exceptional investors around the world in order to support generations of MIT innovators. Today's episode is also brought to you by Marhelm Data. Marhelm is an information service for investors to find real value in an overvalued market. With a focus on shipping and commodities, Marhelm helps you stay on the pulse of global trade, track global sentiment, and identify compelling global investment opportunities. ValueHive listeners can get 20% off a Marhelm Data subscription by using the code VALUE at checkout. That's V-A-L-U-E at checkout. Head on over to marhelm.com, M-A-R-H-E-L-M.com to get your discount today. All right, Shabam Garg of White Tundra Investments. Before we hit record, I joked how I feel like I know you on a very deep level because I've watched all your YouTube videos and it's this exact same setup that I'm talking to you through and it's 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 pretty surreal but um I wanted to have you on the podcast for a couple of reasons one of which I didn't even know really until like last night when you when you tweeted this new white tundra petroleum exploration and this and this whole kind of you know interesting little little um company that you're trying to build which is just a uh Seems like it's just the natural progression in following you and, and kind of your life's journey through through energy and oil. I'm very excited about that. But I'm also excited just to learn from a fundamental level how to analyze and 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 a lot of the misconceptions and a lot of the common mistakes generalists investors like myself make when getting into this space. And um, I, I I think you're one of the sh- sharpest guys out there. So really excited to get you on. Um, I don't know how much crossover there is between my audience and 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 your audience, and so I think a great place to start is just you, who you are, your background, how you got to White Tundra, and we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. You bet. No. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, always fun doing these things, and uh, always nice to be 
in in my little setup here. So uh, appreciate you pointing that out. Um, but yeah, Shabam Garg, uh, petroleum engineer by background, um, went started my studies uh, at the University of Alberta, 2013. Alberta, of course, being the big uh, oil and gas producing province um, in Canada. Got my dad's been in the in the oil patch more in the downstream side for about 25, uh, almost 30 years now. Uh, we used to live in Kuwait, which of course in the Middle East, also a big oil producing country, uh, moved to Alberta and uh, lots of projects up there too. So it was always kind of in my blood, but I, I always had this uh, inkling to be more on the upstream side, more of an exploration, um, not not quite exploration, but actually producing that oil uh, out of the ground just, just got me a lot more I'm excited. So, so did that uh, for for a five year degree uh, because it was a co op program, uh, and and it just so happened that uh, every co op term I did uh, ended up being in the field. So right from when I first started with with uh, Synovus, out in the Weyburn field, I just really started enjoying being out there in the field, uh, touching the wellhead, looking at the oil coming out of the ground, uh, and even more importantly, talking to the people there. They they knew exactly what was happening. Uh, in our in our academic studies, we learn about the formulas and the tables and the graphs. But you go out there and talk to the people, and they say, "No, it doesn't actually work like that." There's there's this X, Y, and Z uh, difference. So so I really enjoyed that part of the learning experience. Um, did a couple other stints uh, with with CNRL, and then a couple of smaller oil companies. Uh, I've always been fascinated with with working with the smaller companies, uh, more so because you have a lot more freedom to do things. They they're more open minded. Uh, but also that's where the money is made. When you look at any uh, company in the oil and gas kind of sphere, the ones that make money for the investor in terms of massive uh, uh, multi-beggar returns are are your small cap junior growth companies. So I uh, worked for a couple of those, uh, graduated in 2018 and just went back in the field. So at the time it was it was just a, self, a self-employed gig, uh, worked, from a, uh, worked for a small company in Lloydminster, we're only making about a thousand barrels per day out of uh, 250 wells. So, you know, we, we had seven, eight, 10 operators. Uh, we each had about 30 to 40 wells each, a couple of compressors and and, and small stations, and we're only making a thousand barrels. So uh, that's when I really understood, okay, there there is really so much potential in, in these small, little tiny companies. If you can capitalize them properly, you have these low decline assets out there. Um, that just that just continue to print cash year after year after year, um, and then also it it really opened my eyes to the optimization potential. We've had this long drawdown since 2014. In the meantime, companies just restricted spending. They said, okay, if the well goes down, if it's not paying out in 90 days, leave it down. We'll wait for higher prices. Though that that sort of mentality ended up lasting for six or seven years. So many 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 wells went down. Uh, the the guys out there were telling me, yeah, this well used to make. 10 barrels per day and then and then we'll bam one day we just lost it never came back and really it all rolls into kind of what we'll be discussing into uh here later uh as well but i really did that for about a year and then i tried my hand at the office so so i went back uh in into the calgary office worked for Payson, uh which is a direct a, a a drilling optimization company and i lasted about two and a half months and i said nope this is not this is just not for me i cannot sit here with a shirt and a suit on and and talk to people. <laughs> I want to be out there uh, uh, operating wells. So, so that's exactly what I did. Um, I launched White Tundra Resources at the time. Uh, White Tundra, uh, of course, being a homage to the 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 kind of climate that is in the northern part um, of the Alberta oil patch, uh, but also the the tundra being 
uh, a, a very interesting uh, a biome or climate in that we think of it as this, as this lifeless kind of dead uh, area, but the tundra really flourishes one every five or seven or 10 years when it has this, this, this big rainfall and big increase uh, in biodiversity, similar to the oil patch. We have these, these long, dead, lifeless streaks, and then we grow and then really have these flourishing times. So uh, launched White Tundra Resources, which was a just a production operations company, uh, worked for Modern Resources up in Grand Prix for about a year and a half. And uh, eventually we got bought out by Tourmaline, uh, worked with them for about four months. And then uh, by then the stock markets had done exceptionally well. So so just to bring it back to that, uh, I'd been investing in oil, uh, in oil and gas since 2013, very aggressive kind of high risk uh, portfolio. Saw that drawdown over the years, but kept putting money in um, as I made more money. And uh, in, in 2020, just went just went all in. I I wasn't even paying credit card bills. I was taking any dollar I could find in in the in my truck that had fallen down under the, the driver's seat, piling it in. Uh, and by Q end of Q1 of 2021, things were things were doing really well. I said, you know what? I'm I've been working a lot. I'm going to take some time off. Uh, when traveling with a few of my buddies down in the States for about four months, uh, we kind of road tripped around the US. Um, and then basically nothing was happening except just investing. And I said, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Uh, and ended up just running into uh, uh, a good friend of mine now, Sohaib, uh, who many of you may, may also know off Twitter. And he said, you know, you got to come on Twitter and you got to share some of the information that you have. Uh, instead of posting on LinkedIn, you got to come on Twitter and share all this. Uh, so I so I came on Twitter, uh, started sharing some posts, supply demand, uh, inventories, and company valuations stuff that I was already doing. It was not that I went out and wanted to launch this. It just hey I'm I'm already I'm already doing these Excel spreadsheets and and running these models. Uh, why not share them? So started doing that. Out of that, the Sunday sessions came up where I now present every second or third Sunday, talking about uh, evaluations, engineering topics, global macro. Um, all kinds of geology and other parts of the world and 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 oil and gas in general. And um, yeah, that that grew over time. And essentially what happened is in early 2022, uh, we started getting approached with private equity type deals. So, okay, there's these junior oil and gas companies that can't get capitalized. Uh, would you and your call it sphere of influence be wanting to 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 invest in these companies? And um, I I kind of took the opportunity as it is. Uh, we we didn't invest in the first company that came up, not the fifth, not the tenth, but the fifteenth or the twentieth ended up being a a very nice uh, risk reward um, sort of uh, entity that came up. Did that, and I really started enjoying that that model. I said, hey, this comp this 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 uh, industry has been left for dead. Private equity doesn't want it. Banks don't want it. The hedge funds don't want it. Even the high net worth retail don't really want it. Um, other than this select group of individuals. Uh, who have shown up on Twitter and and sort of connected with me. So uh, we are now we've done six deals of that sort, uh, private equity deals where we come in um, as a as a big group, um, not really represented as a group, but just as a as a group, mm -hmm. uh, take a large stake in some of these junior growth companies and uh, just kind of help them out on the technical side, the business development side, um, do do a do a little bit of um, podcast with them, share the story, share the vision. Uh, and kind of go from there. And uh, after that, basically, as you said, the natural progression was, uh, hey, if you're investing, um, you know, taking material stakes in these companies, why why don't we launch our own little firm? And uh, the opportunity was there. So uh, 
that's that's what uh, came up yesterday with uh, the White Tundra Petroleum that was announced. Uh, it took about two months for that to be approved by the Alberta Energy Regulator. Given that we're a new company, none of us have 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 owned wells before, so I was just waiting for that. Uh, it took a lot to keep that quiet <laughs> in the in the Twitter sphere, but uh, here we are now. So I think we'll we'll maybe get into it. Uh, Later on down the down the podcast here, but uh, a a very long answer to your uh, short intro question, and um, that's that's kind of where I am now. So really passionate for for anything oil and gas, and um, really excited for uh, kind of what the future holds here for the industry in general. We've had many 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 long years of pain and suffering, and we are now looking at a at a up cycle that uh, looks to possibly be the longest one we've ever had uh, mm -hmm. in oil and gas. I love stories like this, mainly because like I can I I can tell. So first off, I when I started in the oil and gas space, I started in January 1, 2023. I said, I don't know jack shit about this industry. I need to start. And you and your YouTube channel were extremely vital in helping me get up to speed and helping me go from zero to one. And I like if anyone's listening and wants to wants to learn more, like your evaluation videos that you do on all these junior, you know, explorers in 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 Canada, they were invaluable. And so I just wanted to say thank you first off, because like really that helped me a ton. So really thank you for that. Um, and the fact that you just provided that for free on YouTube, like it's 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 unbelievable. So I owe you a debt of gratitude there. But it's awesome just to see this progression. Like I said, like. You just had this passion and you went from studying it. It was, you know, your father's business going from upstream or going from downstream to upstream. And, you know, now you're striking out on your own and doing doing this thing. Do you ever look back and just, you know, kind of think like, wow, like I'm actually doing it. And you almost pinch yourself because like, really, if you look at it from start to finish, like it sure is a logical progression. But there's so many people that have the passion, that have the drive that it just never happens. And so it's it's just it's just cool to see this. You know, kind of come to fruition, right? Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. No, first of all, really appreciate your support. I think the 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 whole white tundra ever since it started, I've been I've been really um, supported by a lot of very very uh, good individuals who who watch the videos, they share it, they really try and understand it, ask good questions, and and really participate. So it's been it's just been a blessing um, ever since the start. And uh, you know, that's that's really I spent five or six years talking to a wall about oil and gas from 2014 <laughs> to 2020. So so for it for the pendulum to swing this far yeah. uh, has definitely been 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 very uh, fascinating to me but uh, it's great to hear that that people are enjoying it because I feel like the oil and gas industry has has not really done a good job uh historically with sharing what they do. Hmm. They they just feel like okay, well if if the protesters and the haters want to want to talk uh, uh badmouth us that's fine because we'll just keep producing oil and make money. Well, that works up to an extent because because you just keep getting more and more tax, and if you don't respond, you you don't share the proper information. People don't know exactly what's going on. It's a very opaque industry to begin with. So, I think democratization of of that knowledge uh, was a big goal of mine because uh, there were so many people in my friends and family circle who would who would call things par sands or they would say oh how was your work on the rig and i'm saying well not everybody in the oil industry works on a drilling rig we, <laughs> we 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 also have production operations but it just it just it just didn't make sense to those people so uh wanting to put that out there i think was was really important to me and and making it accessible to everybody if i go out and 
I start charging for it, then I'm I'm, I'm no better than the other guy mm -hmm. um, with the information out there. So uh, that was really good. But uh, to your to your original question, I think it's it's really been um, just a blur, honestly. Like I've I've taken things as they come. Mm -hmm. um, people people sometimes ask me, hey, you've you know, have you been wanting to run an ENP for this many years, or you've been wanting to uh, invest in these companies for this many years? And and yeah, in the back of my my mind, that's kind of how the oil industry goes. Yes, um, if if you have that passion and you and you have that drive, the 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 industry is open to those opportunities. They they do show up at your doorstep, um, in a sense. But at the same time, um, I never planned any of this. I I just took things as they come. Um, I, I ran with things that came to my doorstep or, or that I reached out to, um, and, and really, um, it's been a ever evolving dynamic sort of story. And, and that's been since day one, like even when I first, first worked in the field, um, I wanted to continue with Synovus, but at the time that was summer of 2015. So the oil price had, had already come down. They started cutting their, their sort of a co-op student expense. And uh, I ended up getting a job uh, somewhere else doing AutoCAD design, uh, still in the field, but doing AutoCAD design. And, and I said, I never, I never planned for this. So, so did yeah. that. Um, and then and I just ended up progressing as I went, all kinds of random roles. And so somebody wanted uh, uh, their, the weeds whacked on site because they were overgrowing on one of these oil and gas sites. And I said, sure, let me go and do that. I learned about the different kinds of uh, invasive species that come in. I learned about the relationships that oil companies have with farmers because mm. the, the the sites are obviously on the farmer's uh, land and they want everything status quo. I learned about the hobby farming and all kinds of things that you learn during that, that process. Um, but really the one core uh, message that I had or the core vision that I had is the oil industry is full of opportunity. So there is very little competition, especially in in today's day and age mm -hmm. where it's such a hated industry um especially in the younger generation they they really don't want to be associated with it um there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh opportunity and there are a lot of older very wise very experienced people in the industry that don't really have anybody to pass that information on to so yeah. if you sit there and and you just absorb what they're saying like a sponge um there is so much information you can learn and uh, just kind of kept doing that uh, day after day after day, month after month. Um, and and I guess one one other point uh, to make about the oil industry is we we don't work a nine to five. So when I say that I worked four years in the industry, um, that's working 250 to 400 hours a month during that time. So so you essentially can get seven, eight, ten years of experience in a in a three to four year period. Yeah. Um, and really take on that responsibility that somebody older would. So um, not only is the opportunity there, but you can really accelerate your learn, uh, learning curve. And then as that happened, um, things just kind of played played into it and uh, took the opportunities as they came and uh, really put 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 your uh, you know put your skin in the game, put your money where your mouth is. I think that's when you say what differentiates people from uh, from, from actually going into that natural progression and from not, um, I really think it comes down to risk, risk averseness, like the hmm. a, a misunderstanding of risk and a ability to uh, put your money where it can be lost. Yes, I'm not going to say that this is an easy industry to invest in, uh, but at the same time, taking on that risk, I think, has been one of the most beneficial things um, in in my 
not just in terms of making me the money required to go on this progression, mm-hmm. but also in order to gain the confidence of the people that are investing with you. When when you come in as a lead investor in these deals, uh, people are more more willing to come in uh, and kind of back you or support you in, mm-hmm. in these sorts of initiatives. So yeah, I think looking back, I, I definitely pinch myself every day. I, I would have never expected this to play out uh, as it did. Um, and uh, here we are today kind of with, uh, I, I still think there is so much opportunity out there, uh, so much collaboration out there that, that can be um, done in the oil industry. And I've tried to get a lot of my um, college friends and family involved, uh, but there just is not the same level of passion. And if there's mm-hmm. one thing I can say uh, in the oil and gas industry, if you want to succeed, it has to be more than making money. You can make money yeah. in, in, in various things in life, but in, in oil and gas, it has to come right from that, that oil flowing in your veins, where, where if you get cut, you're not bleeding blood, you're bleeding, there's this oil dripping on the ground. That's, <laughs> that's how deep your passion has to be. And, and I think that's how the industry has always been. We've, we've always had individuals who are that passionate. And um, you know think about the people that go 500 or 300 miles offshore and, and spend multi-billions of dollars drilling these wells in, in 50-foot waves. You got to have some sort of sense of of love for the industry uh, to go and do uh, those sorts of uh, projects. Yeah, it's 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 weird because you're this you're this younger guy that's that's starting something new, starting a new company, but it's not a dog walking app or a food delivery service that everybody seems to just think is the status quo. It's like no, you're trying to build an ENP, which you know I was reading Paul Graham's latest essay, "How to Do Great Work." You mentioned you mentioned it earlier. A lot of people don't cross that chasm due to risk aversion. And he mentioned in that in that essay how it's actually the youth that underrate the importance of 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 your ability to take risk. And it's and it's and it's the youth that's actually more risk averse when they should be pushing that limit. Because, like you said, I mean, if you go back to 2020, you were you were putting every dollar you made into oil in oil and gas investments. And so you were you were shoving everything in there because, you know, two, you had a conviction or you know, one you had a conviction, but two, there was probably some level at which you knew, hey, if I lose everything that's fine, I'm still in my early whatever 20s, I can make everything back and then some, I still have time. Um but taking that risk allowed you to, you know, travel the world, like take some time off and travel the world all cuz of oil and gas. Yeah, yeah, no 100%. That that was definitely strange times. I mean, people made a lot of money in very very different sorts of uh, uh uh industries in the stock market in in 2020 but uh yeah i think the i i was just piling it in like i would i would i i even at one point i remember i was working every day of the month this would have been like summer or or fall of 2020 mm-hmm. i was working every day of the month and i i i was looking at my messages and i'd sent messages to other companies because I wanted to operate wells like in the evenings and, and, and in the nights, because I said every dollar I can get, like I know this dollar is worth way more uh, uh, five or seven years or, or maybe even two years down the road. Um, but, but really, I think that's, that's one of the things that really, um, in a sense, gave me the opportunity is, is not only that the markets were low and I, and I was willing to invest, but uh, at that time, we were able to work so many hours uh, because everything came in house. So mm-hmm. as an oil and gas company in COVID, we would contract out our services, we would contract out our oil changes, any sort of cleaning, whatever, yep. the basic stuff would get contracted out. But because of COVID and low prices, all that came in house. So we were essentially able to work as many hours in a day as we wanted. Um, 
you know, to some extent, but uh, really uh, that that was just fantastic times. And um, yeah, I think many people made a lot of money in the oil and gas industry in, in 2020. That was really, uh, the, the narrative was so bizarre that, hey, oil price is low, therefore oil is dead. And I'm thinking, well, we're still using 80 million barrels a day or, or, or 85, 87 million barrels a day. Like, what do you mean oil is dead? <laughs> it, 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 never, it never computed in my head. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then of course, OPEC stepped in and, and then you knew, knew, okay, we got some big boys here in control. So let's, uh, let's pile in and um, yeah, crazy times, crazy times to say the least. Before we dive into some company specific stuff and, and, and some, uh, you know, how to, how to help generalists navigate the space. You mentioned the kind of generational lack of talent in, in a way, uh, coming into the oil and gas, really kind of the real asset space, right? I've seen this in metals and mining too. Like you read college, colleges are shutting down geology majors. They're shutting down petroleum engineering degrees. There's no demand when you're looking at it from a actual boots on the ground perspective, because I'm only reading this from a, from a computer screen, but when you're there, when you're working, like how severe is that generational gap between those that are working now in their kind of, we'll call it sunset years versus the supply coming online and kind of the youth of that supply? Yeah. So, so very interesting question. There's, there's many different ways to look at it. I, I, I think I'll start up front by just saying the oil and gas industry has gotten very efficient. So in the last, even like the last 10 years, let's say, um, on the engineering side, on the geology side, even the field operation side, it, it has definitely gotten um, quite a bit more efficient where you don't need that same level of uh, individuals or, 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 or warm bodies um, doing that work anymore. So there is a, a natural transition to that. I mean, when you have a shortage of anything, the industry is just forced to be efficient or pay people more. Well, you can only pay people so much until it becomes egregious. So um, I think there's been that that efficiency gain anyway. Um, I will also say that the world is kind of transitioning from the conventional oil space where you have wells making one, two, three barrels per day, 10 barrels per day to now more of a shale, uh, a big thousand barrel per day well space. So you have less wells making more production. Um, it, also applies to the oil sands in Canada, where you got singular facilities making two, three, four hundred thousand barrels uh, up from that one uh, site. So we do have a less of a need for mm -hmm. people, which is which has softened the blow of what would have happened. Um, but at the same time, I think the the gap is just going to remain, and the gap exists more so in the field than it mm -hmm. than it does in the office. So. On the opposite side of things, you can keep things going relatively smooth um, over time. But on the field side of things, one is obviously the blue collar worker side of things. So field operators, pipeliners, welders, um, some of the construction and uh, grilling rig work, uh, workers and whatnot. There is a shortage there for sure. But also there's a shortage, in my opinion, in field engineers. So people who, who have that academic background, technical background, that are willing to take the risk and go uh, in the field and work uh, mm -hmm. actually operating wells and 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 being there in minus 40 degrees celsius and in the mud and in the heat uh, in these buildings that get so humid and hot i think there's a aversion to some sense to do that uh, but that that really is the best experience you can get you can make the most money doing that as a as a younger engineer 
Um, you can work as much as you want. You can get really nice schedules where you can work two weeks on, two weeks off. So you're you're essentially getting so much more time to spend with your friends and family as opposed to this 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 Monday to Friday drag. Yeah. Um, that that seems to be so attractive to a lot of young people um, for for what I think for reasons that I don't understand. I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, but that's 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 where some of the shortage is and i think that's also where the opportunity is for people who are graduating today even for people who did other types of engineering or they did geology degrees or or, or even anything that's more of a stem field um, to go out there and operate wells um, the learning is just tremendous both from a uh, uh, oil and gas perspective and from like a street smarts pers perspective and a critical thinking pers uh, perspective like you can operate wells and batteries and sites where it might go down at 11 p.m. and your company is losing 3,000 hours in or, or $3,000 an hour in revenue wow. for every hour that thing stays down. So you got to make a decision. You got to get on the phone, make that phone call to, to what part you need, what mechanic you need, what exactly uh, uh, went wrong and fix it. And if you're wrong, you just cost the company 10, 12, $15,000. So that's that's really the type of situations that I think younger people more so need to be in. And it gives them this this very different view of the world where tiny things that happen in your life, like like you didn't get, uh, you know, you didn't get your Uber Eats order right or your date dumped you. Those things just become so meaningless because you've done, <laughs> you've done work that is that is significantly more uh, meaningful or satisfying in a way uh, mm -hmm. in your past. So kind of a a side comment there um, and then the other place where i think we're seeing a lack of a, a, a people and engineers is from an exploration perspective mm -hmm. so if you have an excess or a normalized number of engineers and geologists and even just general oil and gas people they will go out and they will form companies they want to go with three or four of their buddies at schlumberger or at exxon or at suncor whatever and they want to go raise some capital and do some exploration drilling or buy out a small field and kind of grow it from scratch into something bigger, do some enhanced oil recovery. That that just doesn't exist. People don't want to take that risk because they're, they're comfortable. They have really good jobs. They're getting paid a lot. They're finding projects that uh, are very, very satisfying to them. Um, they also, because of the fact that we have less people, the people that are working have relatively strong workloads in what they do. Um, this is especially true in the small to mid cap ENP space. The people there do work uh, 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 quite a bit compared to uh, five or seven or 10 years ago, where a lot of people were just there to go to coffees and meet with service providers for steaks and whatnot, um, et cetera. So yeah, I think the the risk taking on on the new ENP or new technology side has has really gone limited, uh, which again, is the opportunity. So when when there is that little people going out and looking for assets, um, you can go on on a, a software provider like Petroninja or even some of the deal making websites and you can find really, really good assets that just have not been capitalized. Uh, go in, acquire these assets and and run a tidy little ENP, um, make make lots of money doing that. So, um, yeah, so I think that's that's really where we're we're severely missing the the mm -hmm. uh, uh, the people side of things. And of course, shale has come in and completely destroyed that that culture anyway. People think, hey, why should I go and make 40 barrels per day or 200 barrels per day when I can buy some land in the Duvernay 
and I can have 3000 BOEs per day in six months, right? It just, it just doesn't make sense, but the economics over a structural bull cycle are hmm. way better for conventional oil than any shale, shale uh, field will ever be able to produce, um, hmm. no matter what, what the um, economics are. Yeah, I love that. And I think, I think that's, a, that's a great place to kind of segue into how you analyze these companies. And we can, we can talk, you know, conventional ENPs and on the, on, on the smaller side. And so the first question is, let's take your universe of, 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 of ENPs um, and, and, and you say, okay, I'm screening or I'm, I'm trying to find new investments. Like what are the first things you do when trying to narrow that universe? I know now it's probably a bit different because you have a lot of inbound for idea generation where people are probably constantly pinging you like, hey, check this out, check this out. But strip that all away. You have to start from scratch and try to find these on your own. How do you do that? Yeah, you bet. So uh, when we talk about some of the bigger companies, so I'm I'm talking anything more than a thousand barrels per day, let's say. So any of those companies that have detailed presentations and they're out there, you can get lots of information about them. Um, you essentially are are relying on them to do the first piece. So you get you get uh, that in your sphere. Um, I would immediately go and run two two things. So you want to look at the free cash flow yields. the The free cash flow is essentially the 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 money that the company makes after your operating cost is paid off, transportation, uh, any GNA, any interest, but also the capital to keep production flat. So all oil and gas wells decline, we need to keep production flat, so we need to spend capital to do so. Once that money is spent, you end up with your free cash flow, uh, which is essentially the amount that can be paid into dividends, buybacks, debt reduction, uh, acquisitions, et cetera. So any new uses. And I, I always start with free cash flow yield. What is a company's free cash flow yield today? And what is a company's free cash flow yield at the price I think I'm investing in. So hmm. you, before I look at any company, before anybody asks me, they, they say, hey, uh, Shabam, what, what kind of companies are good these days? I ask, what is your six month oil target? What is your 24 month oil target? What sort of pricing regime are you investing for? And hmm. then you look at companies. So a lot of people do this the other way around. They'll, they'll look at the companies and then say, oh, at this price of oil, I'll make this. At this price of oil, I'll make this which is fine, but you open yourself up to so much confusion and, and market uh, uh, volatility. Instead, pick your oil price range and then find the companies. So free cash flow yield today, and then the free cash flow yield at that target price, you can get a semblance of the torque that the company has, the inbuilt torque. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's the first thing I would start off with. I would also look at the reserve life. So look at how much reserve the company has. What is its decline rate? What kind of capital is the, is the company spending per year to keep its production flat? How many water floods does the company have? How much enhanced oil recovery potential does the company have? These things are all, it takes time. You, you, the company is not going to give these to you. The free cash flow yield is easy. The reserves, you can get a reserve number, but to really understand the company's reserves, how much oil in the ground it has, you really got to do the work yourself, find what kind of production growth can they achieve, and how long can they maintain that for? So we look at those two things, we combine them. I then look at financial leverage. I really like companies with high financial leverage. And when I say high, I mean something like a 0.5 uh, X debt 
to the equity value that it has. Um, okay. This is a stark difference to five years ago when companies ran two or three X debt to equity. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So so definitely a few of the things that I look at on some of the bigger companies. I also look at them with their undeveloped lands, uh, what sort of management team they have, the, all, all things that apply to every sector, but the free cash flow yield and the reserves, you really got to put in the work and, uh, and, and, and really deep dive into these. So that's the one bigger companies. On the smaller companies, uh, I basically go and essentially what I call play video games. I, I look at Petra Ninja, which shows the map of the entirety of Canada, every well, its production history, what status it's in, which company drilled it, which company now owns it, how much water does it produce, how much gas does it produce. It has the well logs, it has the uh, fluid analysis, it has any sort of uh, drilling reports, mapping, et cetera, et cetera. So you're going in there and I just play. I just scroll around in my target areas. Mm -hmm. Where do I want to be? Do I want to be in heavy oil? Do I want to be in medium oil? Do I want a gassy area? Do I like Southern Alberta? Do I like West Central Alberta? Go there, just scroll around, look at wells, pools that are active, pools that are inactive, and pools that are suspended. Look for good reservoir characteristics. Look for things that went wrong. I especially like pools that went down in 2014 to 2016 because mm -hmm. those pools were good. Oil price crashed, the pool shut down, and then it stayed that way since uh, till today. Same thing with pools that went down in 2020, the exact same concept. I look for the companies that have few of these properties and then we go and invest in those properties. So if they're a public company, relatively easy, call the number, say you want to speak to the CEO, get them on the line, get the information, then you speak to the engineer, then you speak to the geologist and you have a good understanding, depending on how much information they give you of what they're trying to do. And then we come in and say, if we like the field, we say, okay, do you need more capital? We'll come in and invest X amount of capital. We want these terms and we want X, Y, Z done with this capital uh, as the company grows. So that's more on the on the, on the the PE side of the business uh, is how I would analyze companies. And I will just put it this way. There are still so many fields out there that I have identified, uh, but I haven't been able to get a hold of somebody or the company is now defunct. Um, and 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 really, those wells are just sitting there, um, or the company's already working on increasing production of those fields, but they're a private company, so I can't invest in them. There's there's so much opportunity out there, uh, but yeah, essentially, there's there's two two separate ways to do the bigger and the smaller companies. Uh, even on the bigger companies that are my my uh, large holdings, I will go and look at their fields well by well by well. I will I will go in there run a production um, analysis on the entire field. Then I would look at the land around the field. How much uh, 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 room do they have to go and step out drill? How much room do they have to go and increase production from the current area? And then how much enhanced oil recovery do I see here? Do I see any water injectors? Do I see any gas injectors, any CO2 floods um, in the adjacent areas? And just run my own model. I don't, I don't trust any company. I run my own sort of... Uh, what can the company get to? Uh, which fields do they have undeveloped? And one major point I will make, because I get a lot of pushback on this on this point, is if you had X amount of anything, if you had if you had X amount of let's say Gatorade bottles, mm -hmm. and the price of Gatorade today was 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 twenty cents, and you knew there was a shortage coming because they weren't they weren't making enough or they're running out of powder, or whatever, in the future. 
would you go and consume all of it today? Would you, would you just go and drink all of it right now? No, you would save it for later on to bring it out at the parties in the future. It, it applies to more, less to Gatorade, more to like wines or, or, or really expensive whiskeys. Um, but that's essentially what the oil companies are doing. They bought a bunch of assets. They have the undeveloped land. They have the reserves. They have the undrilled inventory. They're not growing it. It doesn't make sense in a limited resource to grow it in a 70, $72 oil environment. They're going to wait. And then you will really see these companies outperform their peers, the ones that have good geology, good reserves, good undeveloped land, um, and the good resources in the ground. So um, we got a sneak peek in 2022. Some of my portfolio companies, if you look at some of their wells, they the wells did nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden the field jacked up production in Q3 of 2022 because the price made it so um, that, that, that you should be going out and increasing production. We'll see the same as the cycle continues. Uh, and when you value companies, you want to be in companies where production can go up uh, organically, as opposed to companies that have acquired production when the price of that production has ramped up to much higher, uh, much higher levels and much higher multiples. Mm -hmm. Got it. When you, you mentioned a few kind of criteria and one of those, I want to want to drill down on no pun intended, but you said, you know, Hey, do you want to go? Do you want to look at heavy oil? Do you want to look at medium oil, light, sweet oil? Do you want something more gassy? How do you decipher and like, how do you, how do you filter when you want, you know, one of something else? Like, I guess my assumption is that it has to do with the price of oil versus maybe the price of natural gas, or more importantly, where you think those prices will be in the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's likely the biggest factor is you want to go and see which commodity makes sense to begin with yes uh, but to me it's it's honestly even easier than that it's 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 the question becomes okay you have a limited resource mm -hmm. uh, we have limited exploration and reserves in the ground and we have a in my opinion a elongated structural bull cycle that we're entering so in that in that cycle i want to be in companies with low decline rates. So companies that can keep their base production flat, flat or low decline, and then the rest of the production all adds to growth. Let's say my thesis doesn't work out. We, we don't get as high prices, we get maybe a medium level of prices. Mm -hmm. Now I wanna be in these companies because their, their production doesn't decline. So they don't have to spend all this capital, use up all their cash flow on capital, keeping production flat, AKA shale companies. So the, the low decline assets really speak to me because they, they work in a lower price environment and they also work in a higher price environment because you can increase your uh, CapEx a lot faster than a higher decline company and increase your production a lot faster. The lower decline assets come with other benefits, which is they are usually enhanced oil recovery uh, projects. So heavy oil, medium oil is a lot better in terms of enhanced oil recovery water floods than some of the lighter oils doesn't doesn't always apply but for the sake of conventional oil we're seeing a lot of high recovery factors uh in these heavy uh, medium to heavy oil fields so you mm -hmm. get that you also get a third benefit which is cheap dcet cost so drilling completions equip and tie-in these uh, heavier oil fields are you, you can drill them vertically 
you can drill short stubby horizontals, you can get a well drilled between 750,000 Canadian to let's say 2 million on the upper end. Whereas you look at some of these hard decline, deeper formations that are light oil, you're talking three and a half to five and a half million dollars a well. Now, all of a sudden, when you're running a small company, even if you're running a small to mid cap company, do I want to spend $5 million per well, or do I want to spend $1 million per well? And of course, the $5 million gives you more production, but the risk is higher. If you screw something up, if the cost inflation rises, you're going to be more susceptible to that because you need to buy all that much more casing. You have the rig on site for a lot longer days. Uh, your fracks are more intense. You just get absolutely clobbered with cost inflation, uh, whereas the smaller uh, medium to heavy oil, low decline wells, you, you'll get cost inflation, but you go from 750K to 900K or a million. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, not, it's not the jump from 5 million to 6.5 million that now you have to deal with the economics of that. So that's, that's how I see it. Uh, everybody has their own view. People who want really extreme rates of growth, you have to be in shale companies because they, they can grow from zero to let's say 50, 100,000 barrels per day or BOEs per day in a two to three year period, heavy oil can, can just not do that. We, we don't have the well uh, productivity to do that. Um, but for me, it's not about production. I've, I've never been about a production person. I've been about free cash flow. How much money can come back to me? And what does each well make on an NPV 10 basis? Uh, I even run NPV sevens or NPV fives. Um, and, and what can each well make? And that's essentially what's going to make me money for me to grow a company wabam, and, and spend all this money on CapEx. That's, that's not what creates value in the corporation. What, what creates value is the year after year after year of cash flow and the low decline production base. And, um, that's why I, I love medium to heavy oil. Um, and, and I'm usually playing around in that provost Lloyd Minster, heavy oil belt, uh, uh, medium to heavy oil belt of Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, lots of potential there. Um, but yeah, to kind of to each their own, there's, it's a very subjective question, um, to, to, it's a very subjective answer to your question is if somebody prefers gas, then they go and look at gas wells. If somebody yeah. prefers light oil, then they can go and look at light oil, but just keep in mind that the, the different factors, um, that differentiate the, the different areas. It's, it's, it's more than commodity price, um, driven. I like how you think of opportunities from a lens of what do I think the commodity price is going to be? And then what is the price I'm paying in that scenario? Because I do, I, I do that in a sense, but it's actually, it's actually the opposite because the way I, the way I view it is let's assume that oil's at 60. Let's assume that oil's at 70. If that's true, given the production profile, given their netbacks, how much is the company worth? Like, how much am I paying at 60 oil? And the reason I do that is I think from a conservative point of view, and I want to I try to capture that downside and to understand, okay, like if shit hits the fan and this oil super cycle doesn't pan out and oil hovers around 60, I want to make sure I'm okay. And then everything on top of that, anything above $60 oil is just icing on the cake. But my worry about that framework and it's the one I still use, so I'm I'm I I kind of want you to poke holes in it, but I'm worried that I miss out on a lot of opportunities because of my conservatism, and I'm not saying okay, if I think oil is going to be seven, you know, eighty five ninety dollars a barrel in twelve to eighteen months, I could be passing up 
opportunities where companies are trading at half times, you know, $90 cash flow, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I've, I've got a very, um, and people who have listened to me on Twitter spaces might have heard this before, but I've got a very blunt and sort of a, a radical poke poke here is, yeah. is, is, is if you think oil is going to average anywhere less than, let's say, $75, $80 a barrel over the next, whatever your investment time frame is, mm -hmm. you should not even be looking at, at oil companies. There's, there's, there's no reason to be in this sector um, if that's a scenario, because the companies will not go bankrupt. Like I agree, the companies can generate enough to pay off a three, four, five percent dividend. I agree, but that's not what we're looking for. Why would we want to suffer through all this volatility? Keep up with a sector that is so hard to track. You got to spend yeah. hours and hours of research. Uh, the companies themselves are very opaque, generally compared to other companies that are out there. For us to make a three to four percent, or or to downside protect ourselves. Yeah. That's how I view it. Um, I'm I'm really in this sector to make money, and yes, people can get too aggressive with their with their valuations and say, "Oh, at $150 oil, I'm buying this at 0.2 times cash flow, so it makes sense." Well, that's that's not the right <laughs> approach. That's not the right approach uh, either, by any means. Uh, but but really, I think it's only worth being in this sector if you're a bull, uh, if you're bullish on the sector, and if you're bullish on the on the commodity price. Uh, and the reason is that's that's just that's the only way to make money in the sector to short these companies or to go and try and uh, pinch a five or six percent dividend in these companies. I think there's easier ways across the sectors uh, and the different industries to to sort of do that. Um, I mean, right now you can get five and a half percent in a in a eleven month uh, CD yeah. or some sort yeah, of yeah treasuries. You can get five percent yeah, treasuries, treasuries. treasuries, and that's tax free. So yeah. so um, yeah, that's that's kind of. How, uh, how I've been seeing it um, at the same time, um, I think I think um, the 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 upside case has to be there, but also the valuation has to be there. So hmm. so what I mean by that is if you just zoom back, let's say ten years, and we go to 2013, uh, oil prices let's say 95, and let's say you and I were sitting at, doing this exact same podcast, and I'm telling you oil price is going to be 120 in six months okay but the companies are, are already trading at 10 times cash flow or 12 times cash flow so even if the commodity goes up my 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 upside case is is not that great whereas yeah. my downside case is that the companies can re-rate downwards hmm. um or they make a poor acquisition at at a super high price therefore the price drops uh, or the commodity price itself drops the risk profile just is not good Whereas right now, what I see is companies are trading, as you mentioned, at three times cash flow at 70 WTI or mm -hmm. two and a half times cash flow at, at, at 70 WTI. So you, you, you have that upside in commodity that we all believe in, or, or at least that I'm believing in. But I also have the valuation re-rate that is significant enough that it makes sense for me to take that risk. So um, I definitely want to make that point clear. If, if all the oil companies today we're trading at 10 or 15 times cash flow, and I still believe in a bull cycle. Would I still be in the industry, uh, uh, in the sector investing? Maybe not. Maybe hmm. not. So, so I think people that 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 classify each other as oil bulls or oil bears, um, sure, that's fine. But that that shouldn't be your your argument for investing in the sector. It should be a oil price, and then what are the what's the valuations of the companies, and does it provide me that that skewed risk reward? So. Um, 
yeah, so that's kind of the way that I'd be looking at it. And I see, I see the argument being made that, hey, if oil stays at 70 and I'm at three times cash flow, can we re-rate to four or five times cash flow and provide me upside? Yes, you still have that upside. So, so I still agree with the with the uh, sort of thinking that okay, even if oil stays at seventy five or eighty, sure you can invest in them. Mm. But if the companies were trading a lot higher multiple, and you only believed in seventy five or eighty dollar oil, I'd say no. You 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 probably should not even be uh, in the sector. And um, again, if if anybody's believing sub eighty. I say sub sub seventy five eighty dollar oil. Um, there's just better sectors to be in. It's this hmm. this sector will kill you absolutely, clobber your mental health and and, and the amount of time you got to spend in it. Um, I've been in the trenches for ten years, and uh, it's 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 not easy. It's not easy, and uh, you learn as you go, obviously. But um, there's a lot of things here that uh, go against us. The main thing being, the world wants cheap oil. That's it. Yeah. You've got you've got seven and a half billion people wanting cheap oil, and you've got five or ten thousand of us in the oil industry uh, <laughs> who are significantly enough invested who want more expensive oil. The 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 ratio is not very good there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, so, I appreciate I appreciate you giving me the courage to input ninety dollars into my oil price whenever I model out these 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 netbacks. I needed I needed that because what you said is true. If you there comes a point where you can only be so conservative in a volatile cyclical industry where it makes sense to not like it just doesn't make sense to be in that space to begin with right. if that's if that's where you're if the if if kind of that's how you're thinking about it. so i really really do appreciate that and one one term that you've mentioned multiple times here is low decline mm -hmm. and low decline is something i've heard from in you know you and i both know alex verge over at journey energy um right. You know, I I own shares in 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 enjoy, so I'm not you know pitching the stock or anything. But that's kind of his playbook, right? Is he finds these low decline assets, buys them at cheap prices, and um you know creates creates kind of a nice portfolio of low decline barrels. What would you classify as low decline? Like what percentage are you looking for? So if I stumble upon random small co conventional EMP, what's the decline percentage to where it's like okay, as long as it's not above this. I think I'm still in low decline territory. Wow, good question. Yeah, so uh, I would say if I'm looking at a growth company, mm -hmm. so 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 something that's very small and would like to grow, I think you really want a sub fifteen percent decline rate. Okay. So so that's really where the company can can take advantage of its low decline rate to then grow barrels at a very very capital efficient manner. Um, if you're looking for a company that's relatively just flat, flattish production, and they have the inventory depth, so mm. so not only are they flat production, but they have the inventory depth to keep that 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 production flat. Um, something up to e even the low twenties, I think, is okay, um, because the companies still maintain that significant torque um, to the price of oil. They also can grow if they have excess inventory. They 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 can grow those barrels. Um, at the right price, and then I think any any growth company that's got a higher decline rate than than fifteen percent is just not not going to be able to get outside of its own churn um, in a low enough oil price environment. Like like, like even at eighty dollar uh, eighty dollar oil, you're still churning. Um, and then any company that's trying to stay flat and doesn't have inventory, 
I think you want to be looking at very, very low decline rates, like, yeah. like sub sub 10% <laughs> decline rates. Uh, otherwise, those are the exact companies that are going to be buying at four, six, eight times cash flow as the cycle continues. Um, or or they should be buying right now, but but some of them yeah. haven't. There's there's Canadian companies right now that haven't bought uh, because they're looking for an exit or they want to run a very aggressive dividend strategy. Um, so they haven't bought and that that um, uh, that payment comes due at some point in the cycle. And then you end up with a what we call a zombie company uh, because mm. you're essentially just just blow down phase on the asset. Um, and there's there's companies like that today that I can identify that are going to end up in that situation if they don't make deals. Um, but yeah, that's those are sort of the rough percentages. I I wouldn't say that's a gospel by any means. Yeah, there are hard decline companies that 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 can do really well. Um, but yeah, for for all all intents and purposes, I would not invest in anything that's got a higher than let's say twenty five percent decline rate. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just not not worth the money. It, it's if oil price is hundred or one twenty, would I invest in a company that's sub to, uh, or or more than twenty five percent decline rate? Sure. You can you can still grow significantly at that, but if you want to invest in a higher cycle, but then you also want to protect yourself at 75, 80, 85 WTI, more than 25% decline rate, um, you you're essentially churning um, at those at those oil prices. And so the inverse of that then would be some sort of maintenance capital or growth capex figure that you can track on 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 the company. So. You know, for instance, if if it's a high decline and they bring in, for very easy purposes, a hundred dollars in, in um, you know, fully you know funds funds flow, but then it costs them eighty dollars to, basically, um, you know, kind of replace those reserves. Is that is that kind of how you think about it? And then do you is there is there anywhere? And this is this is kind of getting into the nitty gritty, but anywhere kind of in the financial statements where you can where where management will say like hey like this is how much it's going to cost us to replace these reserves at our given decline rate uh yes so to to the first part of your question um it's going to require a bit of a, a a calculation yeah so you take your number of barrels that, okay. that the company produces you take the decline rate on it and you say okay if the company doesn't drill a single well how many barrels would we lose so let's say the company is making 50,000 barrels. The decline rate is 20%. You're losing 10,000 barrels at the end of the year. So when we say the company needs to spend X amount of money to keep production flat, they're essentially making up for those 10,000 barrels, right? So let's say the company needs to spend $400 million. Just, just throw out a number. Yeah. What we say is 10,000 barrels of replacement is costing us $400 million. Okay. So it's... Uh, it's costing us um, four thousand dollars a flowing barrel to keep things flat, and and that's your maintenance capital efficiency. So you can run that number for for various different companies, and you'll see some are in the two to three thousand dollar range, some are as high as eight to nine thousand dollar range. Hmm. So it just depends on the decline rate and what sort of capital is required to mitigate that decline rate. So some companies have really good fields. That they don't need to spend that much capital to make up for that decline rate some need to spend it so yes there's a secondary factor to decline rate which is what are the quality of the company's assets yeah. to make up for that decline rate so for sure keep that in mind as well um and then as far as uh, uh what what do they spend on making up for uh for the reserves 
Uh, basically, we want to look at the F&D cost, so finding and development cost uh, of each barrel that they're adding to reserves, um, and then also the recycle ratio. So what the recycle ratio tells you is if they spent X amount to find a new barrel in the ground, how much did they make from the barrel that they produced last year? So if they spent $14 on, on finding or replacing that barrel, but last year they made $40 off that barrel, the recycle ratio is essentially three. So, so those are the, a couple of the metrics I would look at, um, but I do want to make clear, um, I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this are going to be new to oil uh, investing. When you look at reserves, that's only the reserves that the auditors are giving them credit for. Right. So it, it doesn't account for any new projects. It doesn't account for undeveloped land. It doesn't account for enhanced oil recovery that has a long tail on it. Um, it would be similar to just uh, like you getting a seven-year warranty on your vehicle. That doesn't mean that the vehicle is, is completely zero value after seven years. There's, mm -hmm. there's more value to it. But as the year goes by, you can then put a value to it. Um, the, the, the auditors don't want to give you value for it because you might drive the vehicle into a ditch or into a lake in the, in the next seven years. So buy, why buy a warranty for 20 years or 40 years um, sort of thing? So just keep that in mind. Uh, reserves, in my opinion, are almost always understated. There's yep. people that will tell you reserves are always overstated. So it's a very polarizing discussion. Um, but for the most part, if you're looking at medium to light oil uh, or, or medium to heavy oil, enhanced oil recovery companies, reserves are almost always understated. And is that understatement because... And the only example I have is 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 from mining, where when they do a PEA, they basically try to get the minimum number of reserves so that a project gets funded. So they may have way more than, let's say, 15 years of mine life production, but they needed to get right. at least 15 so the project's funded and they can put you know shovels on the ground. Is it is it the same way for oil, where it's like, hey, you know, our two P reserves might be 10 billion barrels, but that was just kind of that's that's all we needed to get to in order to let's say establish a new line of credit or get a loan but the actual amount is way more and so that's why it's understated uh yes yes so so that's that's part of the reason for sure a, a big part of the reason is uh, uh so let me just restart so a big part of the reason is that reserve auditors don't want to get fired so <laughs> they essentially will get a problem yeah, they will give you eight to 10 years of reserves. And then they don't want to say you got more than that because yeah. now they're putting themselves out out, uh, out there and saying the project is going to continue. You might have a random water intrusion in your reservoir and now you got to do a reserve write down. And now the auditor looks stupid. The ENP looks stupid. The investor looks stupid. <laughs> so so, so they don't, they don't want to end up in that situation. But also, as you mentioned, um, the companies are not going to go out and show all their reserves. If they have undeveloped land somewhere, um, if they have uh, other projects they can do, they're not going to fund everything all at once and then get all this reserve. They, they'll, they'll do projects as they become economic. They also want to maintain projects for multiple years down the road. Um, and then the, the oil patch has a funny way of doing things where if you drill a well here, you only get reserves within a sphere uh, uh, around that well. So you might have land that goes extends out. You might have a well, a, a big development here, let's say 20 wells, but you only get reserves around it. Certain companies, you'll see what they'll do, uh, mostly juniors or small cap growth companies, they'll drill one well here, one here, one here, one here, one here, one here. So then the reserves look 
a lot bigger, but it's the same land yeah. package. It just it just gets different <laughs> uh, reserves associated with it, which is why I say you have to put in the work. You have to go into some of these softwares, look at the adjacent wells, look at the geology, look at the seismic maps to, to the extent you can get access to these things. Um, and then you can make your own interpretation as, as to what you think reserves are, how much reserve life does the company have? Again, I will really stress this point. It mostly uh, more so also applies to enhanced oil recovery projects such as water floods, because the water flood has a long tail on it. Some of these floods have been producing for 40, 60, 80 years. So you're not going to give something reserves for 80 years. So yeah. as they produce, you'll see what happens is they'll produce for a year and yet the reserves for that property will be the same. So what happened? They didn't drill any new wells. They, they just produce another year. So the auditor feels comfortable giving them another year. Hmm. And, and, and that's why I think reserves of uh, some of these uh, EOR companies are just the, they're completely wrong. People go and try and, poke holes into these 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 companies uh but unless you understand the geology and the water flood and and the engineering behind it the reservoir engineering it's very hard to 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 go and um you know say oh this company only has 6 years of reserves but then you look back and they've had 6 years of reserves for the last 15 years so <laughs> like how how does that make any sense right yeah uh, yeah that's i'm going to ask you a question I'm going to I'm going to ask a question that's a perfect segue into into White Tundra Petroleum, which is where I want to spend probably the rest of rest of the conversation. If you could create so I don't know how many, you know, how much you play video games, but I used to play like Madden and and NBA 2K and stuff and you could create a character and I would just put, you know, every attribute 999999. If you could if you could do that with an oil and gas company or an oil and gas asset, let's call it a conventional E&P asset, what how how would you create that perfect asset ah okay well the perfect asset already exists so it's 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 a real asset out there um if if you're talking about assets that a bigger company would look at uh we're talking about the alberta oil sands so okay. so we're talking about a 40 to 60 year reserve life pretty much zero decline um we've spent the multi billions of dollars already up front to build the facilities, to build the processing plants. Now we just produce. It's essentially a cash flow harvesting operation. The geology is for the most part very homogenous, very, very thick pay, um, very uh, uh, shallow reservoirs for the most part, and incredible netbacks. So you get this very nice oil um, that has really, really high torque on it as price of oil goes up because WCS trades a little bit below WTI. So as, as the price rises, um, you have uh, increased uh, uh, sensitivity to the price of oil. So, so that really, to me, is the perfect asset. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the oil sands, in fact, almost all the oil sands is owned by bigger companies. So you lose that torque factor on, on the actual equity portion of yeah. it. So if we're talking about assets in a small company, you want to start a company, what do you want to buy? I want this 99, 99, 99 asset. Yeah. Um, you are looking at mini oil sands. So there's 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 formations across Alberta, um, across Saskatchewan that 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 mimic the oil sands. We know about the clear water development that uh, some of the companies are doing. We know about the blue sky zone up in Peace River. Uh, we look at the Manville stack in uh, central Alberta. 
and then Western Saskatchewan. And what am I looking for? So we're looking for stacked pay. Many of these reservoirs, because of the way they got they got geologically deposited, you have stacked pay. So you have a dinosaur or you have a sparky zone, you have a Lloydminster zone, you have you might have an upper Lloyd, a lower Lloyd, you might have a sparky ABC, and then a Dyna, and then a Cummings, and then so you have multiple zones stacked on top of each other, each with different net pay, which means you can drill multiple wells in your same small land base. You can produce oil from multiple zones in the same pipeline with the same well with your same processing facilities. Mm. Very clean, tidy operation. Uh, the wells are shallow, the wells are cheap. So, so shallow meaning something like 700 meters for those in the US, 2,200 feet or so downhole. The, the wells are relatively cheap. You can drill the multilaterals into them, uh, which right now are good because you get a lot of reservoir contact with these multilaterals, but also you get a very cheap royalty rate for many, many years, given the way the Alberta royalty uh, system works right now and i would look for high original oil in place so hmm. original oil in place is a simple calculation it's a volumetric oil in place multiplied by your porosity which is the the amount of hole in the rock multiplied by your how much of that hole in the rock is saturated with oil so, so simple calculation and you want very high original oil in place uh in the alberta sands for for people that are really want to get into the get into the details yeah. uh, we yeah. look for some somewhere between 20 to 50 million barrels of oil in place per section and okay. a section is a one square mile one mile by one mile area so think about that one square mile can have 30 to 50 million barrels that seems like oil. a lot like it's, it <laughs> yeah. seems like a relatively that, small patch of land with so much value right underneath it yes right underneath it and the nice thing about medium heavy grade oil in the manville you can get 30 30 35 40 percent recovery factors so you can make 20 somewhere between 10 and 20 million barrels of oil from a one square mile section wow. you put a dollar value for that oil in the ground and well bam you have a you have a really really nice field and when i look at projects that i would do under white tundra petroleum uh, when we talk about major projects so so not right now down the road uh, we want assets that can make 2,000 barrels per day. That's okay. that's your nice, clean asset. Um, we don't want assets that can only make 500. We don't want assets that, that can make five or 10,000 because they're too big for a yeah. company of that size. So something that can make 2,000, if the asset is too big, what do you do? You buy a 20% stake or you buy a 30% stake in that mm -hmm. asset. And now you have something that within your corporation makes somewhere between 1,500 and 2,500 barrels per day. And that is a exceptionally clean asset um, because you can grow it to that range and you can keep it there for 20, 30, 40 years with let's say two or three sections of land. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's something people really want to buy. So the MA market in Canada has changed. Nobody's mm. buying old legacy, kind of like drilled up uh, uh, land and acreage anymore. They want fresh pools. And uh, the reason these pools are out there right now is for the aforementioned shortage of engineers yep. the yep. shortage of capital the shortage of risk taking and the increase in technology so previously we could not drill horizontally into a two meter thin zone you just couldn't yeah and some of these manville channels are one and a half meter one meter wow maybe 0.75 of a meter so you're going in there now you can go exceptionally straight in these in these channels but because the channels are so porous and they're so filled with oil, oil saturated, 
and the permeability is so high, they are exceptionally economic. And th those are the kinds of fields that uh, really, if I, if I had the option today to kind of like populate Alberta with a few fields uh, that I could acquire, that's, that's exactly what I would buy. Um, I have no interest in shale. I have no interest in natural gas, uh, no interest in light oil, um, no interest in anything deeper than, deeper than let's say uh, a kilometer. So 0.6 miles, anything deeper than that, not interested uh, in, in those, they just get too expensive. And uh, the chance of screwing up your drill is just that much bigger hmm. uh, versus these, these, these nice uh, six to 700 meter deep formations. Fantastic. Yeah. You've had the chance to not only work at, but study at this point, probably thousands of EMPs, conventional shale offshore. And the fun thing for you is you have a chance to create one for yourself and do the stuff that you want to do, but more importantly, not make the same mistakes that you've probably seen other EMPs make. And so if we think about this and really flip from, let's say, an investing discussion to an operational discussion, right? Because I think they both have benefits. Mm -hmm. Operationally, what are some of the things that you want to do differently at White Tundra Petroleum that you see a lot of other smaller ENPs um, not do or mistakes that they make that you try or that you will try not to do? Oh, yeah, I like that. So, um, it's actually very interesting you mentioned that uh, because next Sunday my presentation is on junior companies that failed and why, and then junior companies that 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 made it and why. So Ooh, I can't wait uh, for that one. <laughs> yeah, so it really ties in ties in well to that because uh, I'll tell you the the number one mistake that junior companies make is thinking the price of oil is going to go up. That that's it. That is the <laughs> singular core issue that plagues the most of them. Um, and then taking on debt and growing into that belief that yep. the price of oil is going to rise. So now you ask me, what am I doing different at White Tundra Petroleum? That's that's the exact model we're running. We we are going to run a leveraged, uh, levered up model. Um, it's going to be a, a not not some of these new companies that are just net cash. They just produce forever. Um, they don't want to take on any risk. We're going to lever up, uh, take on some debt, and and grow using debt as a tool. Um, a lot of people think debt is just like rain cloud hanging on their heads. I, I think debt is a tool that when used properly and, and famous last words, as they say, but when <laughs> used properly, um, can really accelerate your, your growth profile. It can really accelerate your equity returns on that dollar put in off, the, uh, on the front. So for sure, we're going to run a very similar profile as those companies. Uh, the things we're trying to do different is buy assets for cheap. So companies in past cycles, junior companies would buy assets for six, eight, 10 times cash flow. Yep. We are targeting sub three times cash flow on all our assets. Um, the deals that we're making are such that uh, the deals that we're proposing are such that the upfront payment is a lot lower. And then there's a contingency payment associated with it. So you see some of the deals that let's say Husky has or Synovus made with ConocoPhillips, the deals that Synovus made with BP they pay a very low upfront price and then they have a contingency payment. Hey, if oil averages above $90 a barrel, you will get an extra X amount of dollars per month for the next 24 months. I really like that kind of strategy because it, it, it restricts your upfront debt that you're taking on yep. your upfront payment. 
but then as as the prices go up let's say they do go up you're now you're sharing the rewards but disproportionately because i'm only giving them x amount of the increased cash flow so the 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 seller is happy me as the buyer i'm happy and if i run the metrics on the deal at a 80 90 100 wti my upfront purchase price looks like an absolute steal yeah so, and you're basically using funds flows to cover the contingency payments through the yes. business yeah. Yes, as long as I can keep the 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 actual production running, I don't have any like operational yep. issues. Exactly. Yes, I'm effectively using funds flows to cover that payment, um, and I'm still able to grow a lot more aggressively. Uh, the other thing that we're doing different is we're keeping our initial equity pool very small. So White Tender Petroleum is going to be completely self-funded. Um, there's going to be no outside equity that's going to be uh, fortunately or unfortunately allowed to be coming in um, just because we want to keep things such that we can make decisions very fast if i see a 10 barrel per day pool here that xyz guy calls me back and says hey you want this it's for this much um, i can go and say within an hour i can go and say okay yeah let's do it let's let's start the dd process let's get the, the loi signed and let's do the psa tomorrow so so really want to move aggressively uh, on these pools um, I also think having strategic relationships matters a lot. Um, I, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the presentation or, or of the podcast was um, people will sit in the office thinking they know what's going on in the field level and try and run companies. Yeah. That's not how you run a junior oil and gas company. You have to be in the field. You have to be in contact with your field operator on a, on a very, very regular basis. Um, you have to understand what you're, what you're buying, what the vision is of the company the 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 assets the eor potential on a field level so my business partner uh, lives in lloydminster he's there he runs there a is. he runs a service company in that area already so somebody who is very very strongly connected and has deep roots in the area um, to keep an eye out on things if there's any major sort of uh, work being done on our sites he can go to site right away he can help out he can keep a watchful eye so, so really partnering up with field individuals as opposed to, um, you know, I know XYZ guy who's, who's, who's got 20 years of office experience. Nothing wrong with that. That model historically uh, has tended to fail because of the lack of, of, of a care and maintenance on a field side of things. Um, but yeah, I think the, the model is not that much different other than those things. We're just buying mm -hmm. things a lot cheaper than what people were buying them for. Therefore, our, our downside protection is a lot better um, we have safety nets, so I'm taking on debt, but I'm also going to keep safety nets. So a revolving line of credit, cash in the bank. Uh, we are also looking at selling gross overriding royalties on the properties. So basically just, just trying to do everything we can to make the upfront purchase price lower. Yeah. And then share in some of the, the uh, benefits as the price rises. And of course, the uh, kind of the, um, what I'll say, the icing on the cake really is that you have to put in the work on commodity prices. So I think in previous cycles, there were individuals who were, who were really not sophisticated. They saw an opportunity to start an oil and gas company because their banker at RBC or their friend at uh, CNRL told them oil prices going up. That's it. They knew <laughs> nothing about supply demand. They knew nothing about inventory or, yeah. or like anything. Lithium or cannabis same sort of stuff same sort of yeah thing. exactly cannabis ai bitcoins like like people i'm not saying those things are bad i'm saying people invest in them without understanding anything about what's going on yeah um and 
and and maybe they make money maybe they don't but but then they blame the sector or they blame the you know individuals or whatnot and i think really that's that's where for me personally um again hindsight's 2020 famous last words but we're putting in the work on oil and gas macro we're putting in the work on oil and gas prices tracking that as closely as possible um and 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 really the structural bull cycle um it's not going to happen overnight this is a cycle a mm -hmm. cycle is a 3 to 7 year cycle possibly even longer and we need to have the patience on that so one other uh, other thing that we're doing differently is any term debt that we we're taking on it's going to be 36 months or greater so you want to give yourself that flexibility yep. rather than say oh we can save a couple percent but we can only get a 9 month loan no we're going to pay extra interest a, pay a couple of percentage points higher to get that 36 month or or, or greater flexibility on it um which really gives give the cycle time to simmer and to get into that cycle mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. which is especially important in this cycle because the death of shale um is really the the overarching topic here so so that's going to take time to play out um as the cycle continues and um hopefully we'll be there at the end of it making uh, making a ton of cash so yeah, a few things that that are being done differently, but at the at the core of this, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend I'm this like special star. Uh, we're all betting on rising commodity prices and buying assets that that we think are gonna make lots of money yeah. in a higher oil price environment. That's that's really the crux of the thesis. If you had to give a competitive advantage to yourself or one, you know, it's, uh, ascribe some sort of attribute that that differentiates you. Is it is it fair to say that one could be you have so much technical experience and expertise, but you're also able to step back and really simplify things from an investment standpoint, where I feel like if you have a ton of knowledge about an industry, it's very easy to get lost in the sauce of everything you know, and you forget mm -hmm. kind of the big picture and, and the kind of why from a macro level of, yeah, I think oil is going to be higher, therefore I buy stuff cheap, and when prices rise the entry points are going to be great m a in the future the you know these assets will be valuable at you know maybe four to six times what i paid for them um do you think do you think that's one and 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 if not maybe why not or if there's another kind of edge that you think you have um just starting this company and and, and kind of believing that you've got what it takes yeah for sure so so i think that's that's definitely one of the edges is that is that you do you do believe that okay I can identify assets better than the other guy. I can negotiate that, them down better than the other guy. So, so that's always going to be kind of the the core of of what makes any deal competitive. If you paid uh, three times cash flow versus paying two point one times cash flow, there's there's a big difference there in in not just the upfront risk you're taking on, but also in the uh, reward on that exact asset. It 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 can really move up exponentially uh, depending on the upfront price you paid, but I think even more than that, my my real competitive edge that I feel I have at this time is is the White Tundra brand. So the mm -hmm. fact that I'm able to go and raise capital, um, the fact that I'm able to raise debt at a time when the market doesn't want to support uh, a, a smaller companies at all, yeah. Um, yeah. the fact that I'm I'm able to build strategic relationships with uh, gross overriding royalty parties, build relationships with um, service companies, such that it's a very strategic synergistic relationship like okay they know what i've been doing for the last 18 months they've seen my videos they've seen the platform they've seen the kind of uh, 
kind of reach that's out there and they want to be a part of something that's that's maybe a bit different um all the while we can both make money while we're doing that we're not out here negotiating as 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 competitors we're out here negotiating as as more of a collaboration like okay maybe we do things at this rate up front because you know white thunder petroleum has this goal as we get bigger there's more business here uh, that the company's going to bring up and same same with any sort of uh person that's involved with with this um there's there's sort of this this brand name that i'm going to leverage uh, as much as yep. possible not not to go and undercut people and 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 get things for free but to get a much better rate than some of the companies um up front and also one of the benefits we have is we have no gna so there is zero gna we don't have any board of directors that's getting paid we don't have any engineers that are getting paid everything is run in house um the the payments for any sort of technical uh work right now is is being done with a share share based compensation so essentially there there's no cash that's leaving the company uh, up front that's taking away from the investor value um and and we own the company so why would i want my own cash going uh, into other sorts of things so so that really uh, for a company to be a 100% self funded um sure you, your company can be 20% self funded or or 10% and you have skin in the game you have the passion but this thing is 100% self funded so within myself my business partner phil and then one or two strategic investors that's all the equity that's in this company so we have a really really good drive to keep our costs low to not not just be wasting money on gna and flights and and steak dinners uh, and beers and what not um uh moving forward so um i think i think that's that's really the main competitive edge um along with we built up relationships with bigger companies such that i can go and say like look i want to buy these 5 or 10 wells from you uh whereas they wouldn't even listen to other uh, yeah. other people because it's like ah oh, we don't have the time to spend on just selling like you 20 barrels but with me because i i talk to the ceo on a monthly basis i talk to their geologists on a monthly basis they say okay what are you looking for what kind of deals can we make and we're able to access those those different types of properties yeah. um along with the fact that i think my my biggest edge and and maybe i shouldn't be saying this but uh white thunder petroleum's biggest edge is that we focus on assets that are sub 100 barrels per day and in most cases sub 50 barrels per day these are too small for most people to care about they 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 have an engineer they're paying $15,000 a month so they don't want to waste their time on an asset that's that's 50 or 20 barrels per day i will sit there all night and i will look at assets single wells that are active and suspended that make 3 or 4 barrels per day because that's what that's the life i used to live i used to produce 250 wells that made 1000 barrels per day and that is where the money is made i i don't i don't crave empire building i don't crave the barrel per day figure i crave what my barrels are making for me what each barrel is making for me and um i think i think that's really the way business should be done but um i think we're we're all human we all want that boe figure to keep going up yeah. hey i'm i'm the ceo of a 500 barrel per day company and a 10000 yeah. barrel per day company uh but at the end of the day um what does it matter it's it's the money in the bank that matters and yeah. uh and i'm not out here trying to build a multi 1000 barrel per day company uh, our goal is to get to 2000 barrels per day uh within a 24 to 36 month period and that's where i want to be I don't ever want to pay more than 3 times cash flow um at about a 75 WTI for any asset. So so yeah. we're not going to reach we're not going to go and get crazy over over trying to build scale because we don't need to build scale. We we yeah. already are zero GNA.
Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So that's that's kind of some of the edges. Uh, this is all, of course, in in um, what do you call it as a as a as a plan. Nothing so far has been executed. We do have our first LOI signed uh, on a on a on an asset that I hope to announce the closing in the next four to six weeks. But um, until then, I think I'm just happy with all the support I've received. So I think yeah. thank you to everybody that's uh, been kind of supporting me through the entire journey as we went from White Thunder Resources to White Thunder Investments, and then now the uh, beginning of something new. And uh, really, really super excited. Um, we're going to be as transparent as possible. So I'm going to share every detail about which which land sections we own, what each of the wells is doing, share the actual production graphs of the wells. Um, because like for me, yes, I want to make money in the oil patch. Yes, I want to I want to be successful. But also, I just think the information sharing has to get better in the oil patch, and 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 we need people who who understand how oil companies operate, um, what what the economics are, what the free cash flows are, how wells run, and uh, going to be doing as many of those initiatives as possible. Um, of course, within reason, as long as it, it's it's within regulatory requirements, and yeah. um, you know nothing material is being shared that's uh, illegal or anything. So yeah, um, yeah. So super super excited, super pumped. This uh, the the one problem with with audio only podcasts is you can't see the fact that you were smiling that whole time that you were describing it and it's a, it's a perfect example of I think you know you've you've found what great work means to you and I think I really think you're doing it and I think White Tundra Petroleum is 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 kind of the epitome of that of that great work that you do so I couldn't be more excited for you um, I'm very very bullish on White Tundra Petroleum um, I think I think you guys are going to crush it and. I, you know, again, thank you for taking, you know, an hour and a half for me to, for, for, for me to pick your brain. And, you know, like I said, at, at the beginning, you and your research and your YouTube videos were instrumental in me getting up to speed on, on, on analyzing some of these smaller ENPs. So couldn't thank you more enough. Um, where, if, if people want to learn more, reach out to you personally, where can they go to find you? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, most active on Twitter. So at white tundra SG. Uh, you can DM me uh, any questions. You can uh, send me a little message. I'm also pretty active on Twitter Spaces, so not nice. as much as I used to be, uh, but but still trying to uh, come in there and be on a on a more of a active role in on that platform. I think Twitter Spaces is very very powerful tool in terms of sharing information uh, and having that back and forth. So uh, you can catch me on there uh, on a lot of the oil focused spaces. And then uh, my YouTube also is at White Tundra SG, I believe. Um, all my recordings are are on there. Um, from we've done about fifty, I want to say uh, Sunday sessions so far. So uh, all the recordings are on there. And then my email as well uh, as well uh, is 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 on the website. So WhiteTundra.ca. Uh, you can see my portfolio. It's all transparent. You can see the um, uh, the the price target spreadsheet that we keep based on an eight times free cash flow model. Um, all, all the previous videos and the podcast that I've done. And then uh, there's a contact us page there too, uh, if you want to email me. And um, yeah, I guess so far I've been blessed and thankful to have had the time, but I think I've responded to every email and every DM uh, I've gotten. So uh, awesome. that, that, that may have to change at some point, but uh, yeah. I, I, love, I love answering questions. I love sharing information. Uh, it's really what 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 keeps me um, very motivated. Like there's there's other things that keep me motivated, yes, but I I love the feedback and the participation from people who are getting into oil, such as yourself, there, Brandon. You know, it's 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 really a sector that um, has unfairly gotten a lot of hate in this world, 
And uh, it's it's about time we did something about it. And uh, doing something about it is giving people the information so they can make their own decisions, yep. not just from an investment standpoint, but also to what benefit oil and gas has had on society. Um, because yep. none of us none of us would be here without it. We would still be living in in little caves and burning fires. So uh, <laughs> I think uh, uh, I'm I'm obviously heavy, uh, heavily biased to that, but the data <laughs> and the statistics also prove that point. Uh, overwhelmingly in my favor. The last question I have for you, Shabam, is one that I ask every guest. And uh, it is, if you could have a dinner with anybody from the past or the present, who would it be and why? Oh, I, I just got asked this on a date uh, about a month ago. and, and I, Oh, no way. Perfect. I didn't really have a good good answer for her. So uh, <laughs> uh, um, I I really think like the the it would not be somebody who is famous or successful in my mind it would be somebody who is very small and has run a company kind of uh, bootstrapped a company together in the enp space so this is more applicable to like the the, the early 2000s or like 2010 to 14 i i unfortunately uh don't have a name for you yeah uh, but but as i continue this i i really think um you know people who are successful is great but a lot of their a lot of their information is is already out there, so yeah. I would I want to speak to somebody who's been in the shadows, uh, made a small company, grew it to a few few hundred barrels per day, um, or even somebody who was a very successful investor in in junior oil and gas, um, and then and then just kind of uh, absorb as much as I can from them because uh, for me success is about is is about uh, not not becoming the biggest Hollywood star. It's about being successful in your in your small little pond and getting all the fishes in that pond um so yeah i wish i had a better answer for you but i i i still haven't thought about that question enough to uh give you a specific name uh at this point in time yeah <laughs> i wonder if the date listens to the value hive podcast that'd be fascinating <laughs> yeah 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 i mean uh if anybody feels like you are that individual please feel free to reach out and uh, be more more than happy to have a dinner or uh yeah or uh, go out i i love steak and i love uh, being on the beachfront so we can uh mix those two and uh and have a great conversation but um yeah like people who know me who've been following me for a little bit know that uh there's nothing that i'm more passionate about than than oil so mm -hmm. uh, if there's any person that i would have a dinner with it would it, the conversation would likely be 99 percent oil and gas yep. uh maybe a little bit about our life and and whatnot as well but uh primarily on that love topic. it love it shabam thanks so much for taking the time i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and i can't wait to get this out to everybody else um they're gonna they're gonna learn so much and best of luck with white with white tundra petroleum i look forward to all the updates and uh i will keep watching your videos and just keep keep doing great work in the oil and gas space it really makes a difference no thanks so much brandon for having me and uh really appreciate the uh you know you having me on there and the and the conversation today it was great this episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive.